Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a user researcher's guide to crafting amazing games. So obviously, to set a bit of a, a pretext to that, we're going to be talking a lot around user research. And each of our guests with us today have provided a question which we're going to go through. Before we kick off into the questions and the sort of setup to the podcast, we're just going to go around quickly and do a round of introductions uh, from everybody. So Francesca, would you like to kick us off with your introduction, please? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me today. Um, I'm Francesca. I'm the game user research lead at Candy Crush Soda. Uh, my background was a bit different. I did a PhD in experimental psychology and neuroscience, uh, specifically actually in alcohol research. And then I moved to work with virtual reality and cognition before jumping into the world of gaming. Amazing. Thank you very much. Josh, over to you. Hello, hello. My name is Josh Marchand. Thank you for having me. I'm the Games User Research Lead at Paradox Interactive. I've been at Paradox for about three years. I've been doing the Games User Research song and dance for about eight years now in, in some shape and form. Um, and uh, I got my start in games research from the game development side. I started out with producer and uh, fell in love with Games User Research and tried to figure it all out along the way. Uh, I've worked on everything from indie studios to AAA studios, from board games to, you know, Fortnite. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's that's me. Amazing. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Navot, over to you. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Navot. I'm the uh, behavioral science group manager at Playtica, um, and I'm the head of the user research lab over here. Uh, I came from a background which is somewhat similar to Francesca. I got a PhD in clinical psychology and in neuroscience. And after a decade uh, at academia where I used games to study human beings, I decided that the other way around is more fun. And now I use human beings to study games. Very nice. Fantastic. And lastly, Sana. Yeah. Hi, everyone. And thanks for having me here. I'm Sanna. Uh, I work at Rovio as a UX uh, research team lead at the Puzzle Studio here in Finland. Uh, and what that means is that I lead a small team of researchers in our puzzle studio, and I'm also supporting as a user researcher for two of our puzzle games. Uh, I already joined Rovio in 2012, so it was actually my 11th uh, work anniversary here last week. So I've been here for quite some time. Uh, my background is actually from a bit more technical side. Uh, so I graduated from the Technical University of Helsinki uh, from the Department of Electrical Engineering. So that's where I graduated from. But already in my major, I was able to pay, pick uh, pick on, on um, courses that touch the user research side. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Amazing. Thank you very much. And yeah, welcome, everybody. It should be a really interesting discussion and uh, a conversation we've been planning to have for quite some time as well. So uh, finally get to have that with everybody today. Um, before we jump into the questions, we're just going to set up a little bit of context to the discussion as to what what we mean by user research and, and especially in the context with games, what we mean by user research. So um, does anyone want to come in and just set up a, a little bit of that for us for context? Yeah, sure. That's uh that's kind of the million dollar question, right? Like with with when we when we deal with stakeholders, when we deal with other developers in in our companies, uh that's always the one that's hard to understand. I through trial and error over the years, I I I think my solid short quick answer would be user research is understanding the design intent being experienced through the player. Nice. Does anybody have any any thoughts on that, Francesca? Um, yeah, 
Thank you. Uh, the other thing that I would like to add about this is that I always uh, like to say that uh, as UX researcher, we are bridge builders. So we build connections, we build bridges between the stakeholders and the user and the players. Yeah, absolutely. Sana, do you, do you want to add something as well? Yeah, I also like to sometimes uh, describe it as like we're after the why, why we're seeing something happening. Um, so, for example, the data analysts are looking at like what what is happening in the game, and then we can provide the why, why they're doing that, and and also obviously like what they're feeling, what what are their perceptions and feelings um, towards the game. Yeah, absolutely. And then lastly, Nava, before we jump into the questions, yeah, I think they're. Uh... The, the the frame that that Josh gave, I think it's very correct. But the two points that I would add here is one: I think we are the primary um, stakeholder in the studio that interested in the player. So whereas every other function is interested in the game and actually the game works, we're the one who's there to kind of voice the player and what is that that they want to do with with the end product. Um, and then the other one, I think it's more broad, and I have to admit it's my crusade. Um, in the three years that I, I've been in this field. Um, and that's, I think we are now maturing enough to start moving away from being user research and start moving into being user science. Um, it's some, somewhat like, and Francesco might um, have a feel, some little feeling, but somewhat like what happened in neuroscience in the last 20, 25 years, where we started with very small cohorts, very simple kind of statistics, very... Uh, rudimentary experiments and, and over time grew, over time um, became more and more substantiated as a science. I think now we are, to shoot at least, start moving uh, towards that. Uh, and I think that would, there was a hidden thing in what Josh said, but uh, sitting on the table is always a little bit questionable, but do I really need to spend money and time on doing research? Do I need to spend money and time in having research team? Right, I think that those kind of questions should, uh, in the next two, three, four years, kind of disappear. And the question is, how am I doing it the best that I can? How am I using it the best that I can? I think that's the overarching question in this podcast. Yeah, well, it is a really good discussion to have, and uh, like I said, one we've been looking to do for a while because there's so much within this field which we're really interested in to explore. So let's dig into it a little bit more with the questions and we'll go around and, and have a bit of a discussion. So Francesca, you've got our first question today. Um, yeah, so the first question is, uh, in what kind of uh, project situation do you think game research is the most helpful? And similarly, in what kind of project si situation do you think the magic of uh, game research is quite limited? And um, to answer the first part of the questions, um, Game research can be incredibly helpful in very uh, situations and during the whole product development, um, especially, for example, in the early stage of game development, research can be pivotal in understanding player behaviors and preferences and motivation to create a game that align with the target audience. Um, so it's it's really important to incorporate UX research since the very early stage of the products. And then um, we continue to use research to enhance player experience. So research can be used to identify pain points and areas of improvements in, in the gameplay experience from the user interface design to game mechanics and narrative. Um, other things where um, is really useful is in monetization strategies um, in for retention, for example, and um, also to for accessibility and inclusivity. And uh, to answer the second part of the question uh, very quickly about the limit of uh, game UX research, and I'm going to just say one that is my favorite one, is that uh, the limitation in predicting success or in uh, any predicting hypothesis. Um, research can provide insights and increase the chances of game success, but it can't guarantee it. And at the same time, we can't predict, we can't do hypothetical questions. Um, I'm going to mention only the cognitive bias that uh, a famous behavioral economist uh, um, uh, put a whole theory about it, and it's Daniel Kahneman, right? 
and it talks about so humans are very, very bad at predicting uh, future behaviors. So yes, that's me. Sorry, it was very long <laughs> answer. No, it's a, it's a great question. Obviously, there's sort of two parts to it. And uh, uh, Sana, do you have something to add maybe on the first part of the, the question? Yes, yes, I totally agree with what Francesca said. I just wanted to add to the why why the early phase development is super important to to kind of utilize user research is because that's kind of the only data source we have. We don't have a game life, so we don't have the game metrics to to fall uh, to lean on. So it's basically the only only data source. So that's why it's super important to do research in the early phases. But obviously, also when the game is live. We have new features, so it's basically almost the same thing. We again don't have the game data to back it up, so so research is um, important there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants to speak on this. Uh, I don't know who was wanting to jump in there first. Uh, Josh, do you want to go? <laughs> I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy to go. So uh, I, I mean, I agree with everything that was said. Uh, I, 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 I'm always trying to get developers to uh, move away from this whole "I'm scared to show off the game early in development." Uh, you know, it's it, it can be scary. It's your baby. It's not really. Uh, it's not really ready yet. But um, it, it really is the formative parts of a develop the development cycle that we can help the most. Uh, when I first read this question, I kind of like or I guess here the question, I kind of reflex into the answer of, well, research is helpful in all stages of development, right? Like it depends on the methodology. It depends on what you're trying to, to answer uh, because the questions you answer early in development may be useful then, but if you ask that same question, you know, after the core game loop is established, after they, you know, they hit alpha or beta or something like that, that question becomes less and less useful and less and less relevant. Right. Because they're not going to be able to go back. There's some cost fallacy. There's so many things that go into it. Right. Um, so while I agree that the most important time to do user research is that early phase, I think the, the asterisk I like to put on it is what question you're asking, what method are you trying to use and, and all those things, because it, I think that changes the answer to the uh, to the question. Uh, I, I agree, I think. There's this saying that test a lot and, and often, and then you, you, you avoid uh, mistakes and things that's true. The more you test, the, the better you are. Um, I, I, the only thing that I would add here is that I think the function of researchers in a studio is super helpful in the very early stages, even before research can be done, because we hold, um, by our training, by our experience, by our experience, a lot of knowledge. Uh, Francesca mentioned cognitive biases, right? How you use different devices and human behaviors to design a specific feature or a specific part of your game, even before you have anything to test. Just by saying, wait, don't don't use those two colors because no one's going to be able to see them, or or the speed is is, is impossible to for the human brain to understand, or anything of that sort. Uh, can be uh, super helpful. Um, so, so yeah, so adapt the, the type of question that you have to the type of, of where you are in the, the life of the product. Um, but there is, it's always the chance, it's never too late, it's never too early. The only thing that I'm dealing here with Francesca, um, it's not that it cannot be used that way, it can definitely be used that way. I think it's often used that way. It shouldn't be used as a scapegoat. It shouldn't be used as a reason to kill projects or... Um, uh, key games or anything of that sort, um, because it just it, it, I think it diminishes from from the discipline, um, and then we we become you know green leaders, we become the bills of red news always. So, so nobody would like to work with us. <laughs> Josh, do you want to comment on that? I do. I just I resonate really strongly with what you just said. Is uh, we don't want to become the arbiters of what is a good and a bad game, right? Like if, if the spirit of what we're trying to do is ensure that the design intent is reaching the players, we lose that trust and that ability if we become the person determining if it's a good game or a bad game. We shouldn't be judging the design intent. We should be judging the efficacy of the design, of the implementation of the design intent, right? So I just wanted to throw that in there because uh, definitely my heart resonated with that. So... Francesco, obviously your question here from the other guests there. What what are your thoughts? Um, uh, well, absolutely right with uh, what uh, Josh and what just said about being 
flexible, being open. And when you finish, um, when you present research to the stakeholders, you always uh, tell a story. And at the end, you always end with recommendations, right? And you always need to choose very careful the, the, the words that you're using. But uh, the main idea is to, to be really open, to be re- really flexible. To uh, Research is also about failing, right? Failing early, failing often, and then always learn uh, the, for the next step uh, for the future research. So that uh, needs to be considered as well. Yeah, absolutely. Does anybody want to add any any last points before we move on to the next question? No, oh, good. no, it's a, it's a brilliant first question to kick us off, and I think it'll lead quite nicely as well into the, the, the rest of the conversation. So, Josh, we'll hand over to you to come in with the next question, if you don't mind. Awesome. No, I'm, I'm super happy. So, as, as I said earlier, I, I got my start in game dev education and things like that. So, I, I had to learn to look at this through another lens. And, and so that that took a lot of cognitive effort to learn how to switch from a developer to a researcher. And this is something we ask from our stakeholders all the time is to be able to put themselves in a different in different shoes or see things in a in a different lens. Uh, a lot of times uh, I, I'm working on games that people feel are creative passions. And, you know, there there's a there's a decision going into it that's about the creativity. So when I come in and I present findings that say uh, from a you know scientific method that these things aren't jiving with the players, um, they don't always like that, right? They, 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 they feel like it's squashing their creativity. So my question, that's a long lead up, but the question is, um, as researchers, how do you balance those traditional principles of, of UX with that creativity lens, that subjective lens that developers often bring to the table? Yeah, really, really good question. Um, anyone want to come in first on that? Sure. So something, yeah, um, something I often do, like if if there is a developer that comes, like, yeah, how do we now study the, like, if this game is fun, then I uh, and this kind of subjective creative lens, then then I try to kind of ask them, okay, what does it mean? What does fun mean to you? So breaking it down, and then I can kind of. Uh, then kind of convert those to to the research questions and 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 the, the topics that I want to then research. And uh, then when talking to them, it's obviously again important to talk with their language and and yeah, not killing the creativity. And uh, but yeah, just breaking it down and understanding what they what do they mean with these these questions that they have. Uh, now, um, yeah, I I think. We're doing something which is similar to what Sanna just said, but but we have a slightly different approach. Um, what we try to do is we try to take these kind of unclear or very amorphic uh, um, terms and we try to design them. We try to build a, a theory around them, right? So, uh, if if someone comes to me and said, "Okay, I want, I, I want to." Uh, it's a project we just ran. I want to I have a better look and feel for my game. We all know that good games have good look and feel, but, but what, what is a good look and feel? It's, it's a very obscure definition. So what we do is we spend some time building a theory around it. So reading up literature, trying to define different terms, trying to, to really uh, uh, understand what is it the basis of that obscure term, and then we can test those. And the reason that we find this to be helpful is one is then there is something we can come and say, okay, there is a model. There's a model of fun. That is the model. It, 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 it's about um, excitement. It's about repetition. It's about learning. It's about progression. Those all go to fun. And now I can break those down and test them. That's that's one. But the other thing is it's now a model. So that model is transferable to other games, to other studios, to it's something that I can repeat over and over again. I can create a benchmark, uh, then I say, remember the project we did six months ago and, and the fun factor of it or, or the score that we got there or whatever was 6.7 and it didn't really work as we expected it. Now we've tested it and it's a 9.9. So so I'm more confident that that really in the right direction. Um, so, so we, again, going back to my comment from the beginning, we're trying to do science. So we're trying to build a theoretical model, test the theoretical model, 
see if it works, then collect it and then keep it over time um, and use it in different games and different scenarios to see if what we, we intended makes sense. So I was going to ask off the back of what you were saying as well, just um, for someone who's completely new to user research or maybe wanting to, to transition into this field or go into the field from the start, when you say you go and break that down with people in the company and you, you work with them and you don't want to kill the creative vision and things like that. Could you go into a little bit more detail as to like that process and how that, that works maybe? Yeah, it's all about understanding what, what, what are they after? So yeah, uh, they don't always maybe know it uh, either. Like, so like this fun question of fun, it's a, it's a really broad topic, like, uh, but it's always something that they're interested in. Like we want to make a fun game. That's what we do. Uh, but yeah, so just, talking to them uh, and, and, and understanding like, okay, what, what, what is it exactly that you want to know? Is it, is it about like progression? What is kind of the design intent here uh, that we're studying and, and breaking it down to that? Um, and yeah, so talking with the designers and who, who, or whoever the stakeholder is at that time and, uh, and trying to understand the kind of deeper, deeper uh, thoughts, thoughts in there. Uh, so yeah, a lot of conversations and discussions with them. And from you, like the more experience you become in, in your position, like during these conversations, does it get to like you can almost answer some things that are questions, or each time because you know past or, or past experience, or like I know that doesn't work, or I've done this before, or is it every time when you have these conversations for, for new things, perhaps it's more you go out and you do a research study around it, and you come back then with the answers. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think now like it does get easier, and I also think that the designers kind of also kind of learn what we can ask and what we can't ask. Uh, so I think, yeah, I, I haven't been actually asked this like, can you study if this game is fun in in a while? So I think <laughs> I have now learned that that's not the way way to study. So um, so at least that's worked <laughs> worked. So the, the yeah the designers have learned and. And of course, we we have learned from past studies, like what is the best way. So I can already give examples, like, hey, we studied this. Like, is this something that you're interested in, or or like, yeah, any past ex uh, examples? Yeah, nice, Francesca. Did you you want to say something as well? Huh? Yeah, um, this is another million dollar uh, question, by the way, and to add to Sadna, I think is one of the other really important thing. Um, is to understand the to understand the player motivations because traditional UX principle can ensure a game that is easy to use and to navigate, but it's understanding what motivates players that can make the game really enjoyable and really fun. Um, and this is where research plays a crucial role in uncovering player motivations and aligning them with game design. So with that, it will be, again, kind of like repeating testing, repeating, collecting um, user feedback and understanding how to measure fun, how understanding how to measure engagement. Josh, did you, you know, obviously, again, your, your questions, I want to give you the opportunity to, to come back in after listening to everybody else. Any, any further thoughts based off what everybody else has said? Uh, it's always a great sanity check to hear that everyone's kind of, you know, thinking about it in a similar way, right? Like, uh, you, you know, uh, sometimes when a, a developer, a stakeholder looks at you like you're crazy when you want to break down uh, with metrics about what fun means. Uh, it's nice to have comrades, you know, knowing that there, there's other people out there breaking down metrics. Uh, that's exactly how uh, how I like to to tackle it too, is uh, I often try to work with the stakeholder to understand what success means for the player, right? So if we're going to say that fun is this, this, and this, I want to know, okay, how do we know that the player has succeeded in doing this, this, and this? So creating those metrics that make it very easy to test against, to kind of what was said before, create, making, using science, creating uh, situations, testing specifically against the hypothesis and, and things like that. So uh, just kind of echoing what was already said uh, with, with everyone else. Yeah. Uh, Navid, do you want to come in as well? Yeah, I think one one um, key thing here to keep in mind um, that I found over over the time is that Josh kind of mentioned that the feeling of, of you being the, the the person who comes there and quenches dreams and hopes and kind of 
take, takes away the, the joy of, of creation, right? Uh, with all your matrices and, and all your assignments. Um, and I think it starts by creating those relationships even before the projects start. So um, if if we were an outside um, uh, consultants company, right, and we only came to do a study about a, a specific feature in a specific game, that's all we did, and then we left, there would be no relationship between us and the production team or, or the design team or whatever. But when you are part of the studio, when you were there, and you're there every day and they know you and they, they kind of learn to trust you uh, and to know that there is sense to the madness that you are talking to. Um, I think that over time, that you are, when you get good at your job, and I think all of us are, um, we know how to phrase things that, that are not, don't do X, but rather we've looked at X and these are things that we think we need to change. You still have all the creativity all, all of all of the canvas to do whatever it is that, that it is your art and your profession, but just keep those points in, in mind because we found that they are, are counterproductive. Um, and I think people tend to trust you more when they know you and they know that what you're saying will actually give them a better outcome. Yeah, uh, going going with that, you kind of unlocked a core memory for me. Is I. I was working with uh, with one of the researchers on the team uh, a little bit ago, and they had a really bad go at it with talking with their stakeholder. And uh, it was it was a situation where it's like, what could have gone differently within that meeting where you're talking about the findings? And it, it really came down to going into that meeting. There was nothing that could have been done. It should have been done beforehand. It was making sure that to understand that you are there as a, a helpful person, not a, not as a person talking down to them or destroying things, but as a tool to make the game better. And so it's uh, when you get to that point, you've already lost, right? You got to do it uh, ahead of time. Uh, so yeah, it just, it's cool when things click like that. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's even, I, each company has their own tradition and their own structures and all that stuff, right? But uh, it go, it really boils down to sitting next to them in lunch, right? Making sure that 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 you eat with them and you break bread and and they and you talk about your kids or your pets or your vacation. It's about uh, what what our department does a lot is we do these head like talks around uh, the company. And we just give out new information that we've researched either in from other studios or just for uh, enrichment. Uh, and over time, people get to know our faces. They get to know who we are. They get to understand the benefit that we bring to the table. Um, so, yeah, it can happen that we still get into a room and the, room and, and the uh, communication wouldn't work. Uh, but it's, it's catching it a lot earlier. It's, it's really being present there and, and making sure that people... Want to hear what we have to say? Yeah, really good question and uh, some good points on that as well. And we'll move it on to to the next question now, which is from Navit. So, do you want to kick us off with yours? Yeah. So, so mine is actually, uh, I think, uh, a value, uh, evolution of Josh's question. And then, okay, so so we've done this study, right? We we got the the stakeholders to play along when we've done the work, but then how are we translating very scientific findings uh, um, and outcomes into specific uh, uh, steps or tasks that, that the um, studio stakeholders can do. Uh, and then to what degree do we do it? So do we really tell them do X, don't do Y, or we just tell them we found something and then you understand what you want to do with it? How, how do we make them want to make the changes that we suggest? Yeah, really good question. Anybody want to come in first on that? Go on, Francesca. Um, yeah, I think, as I mentioned before, it's always about um, the ability of telling a story from the start to the end when uh, you port, report the findings back. Um, and also most important is to understand and to know their own language. So basically, you translate everything that you got from a researcher language into the stakeholder language, and um, is a really is really good when you click together and and you create this new shape of communication. But if you get there, you know that that the findings are going to be received really well. Go on, Josh. So. Uh... 
this is interesting because Francesca, you're talking about telling us a, a story and things like that. And over over the the, the kind of the, the course of my research researcher career, I've kind of ping ponged between two different methods of delivering insights to the uh, to into the state to the stakeholders. Uh, one of them being a very traditional, like telling the story, you know, this is the situation, this is what you should do about it. Um, but, but sometimes I've noticed that that hasn't worked with certain stakeholders. I think it just depends on the person, the environment and a lot of other stuff. And so what, what I found is under kind of what you already said, which is understanding what works for them. And so that other one kind of pendulum swings to more of the very nitty gritty, uh, task oriented mindset that a lot of pe- a lot of our stakeholders are in. Uh, it's something I coined as uh, inside insights based reporting. So it, it's looking at things more of like a like a Jira ticket or more of like a, a like a uh, what, what would you call it like a, a QA task or a QA test or something like that, where it's very specific, quick to the point. So it, it's almost the the polar opposite of the of that telling a story. Now it still does tell a story, sure, but it doesn't go into that like. Uh, it, it uses three words, whereas maybe we'd use five words for something else. Uh, there's dangers to it, just like there's dangers to everything. But it, it's it's interesting because it always takes me a second to figure out what is going to be the best way to help help the stakeholder. So I, I know that doesn't answer the question very very well, but I I think it's one of those that you just have to know the stakeholder and know how they're going to use use your findings. Yeah, I definitely agree that you need to, yeah, you need to know who you're presenting to and what works for them. Uh, one thing that I also noticed that sometimes if they need a bit more convincing that this is actually an issue, it's really helpful to kind of show them some visuals. So if it's a play test, show a clip like, hey, here is actually a user who is struggling with this feature. Or if it's a survey, you can t- show quotes like, okay, this is actually what a player said about the game or, or anything that you can kind of visualize and, and showcase it that this is actually actually a player uh, feeling this way and, and having these uh, struggles with the game. That's norm- That's been helpful in the past. Mm. I, I want to I wanna, um, kind of press on that question because um, I, I've, I've been feeling the same ping pong that, that Josh kind of mentioned or alluded to. And... Um, there were times that, that the demands that we we got from from management or from our, our our clients our stakeholders were don't tell us what to do right um, we we you are the researcher you are not the game developer you you're not the decision person you don't necessarily have that know how so just give us the information and let us understand on ourselves how to implement it best. Then other times it was the exact opposite. I'm like, um, give us an exact slide. Of the, it is, isn't a slide at the end telling us the five steps that we need to take as a result of the study, how to change everything, move that button to here, change that color to that. Uh, it's If it's not exact kind of action items that they can take, they don't know what to do with the presentation. Um, and I think for us, with the amount of experience that was in this room, the amount of, of kind of knowledge, it's easy. But when when we look at our journals and we tell them, okay, this is the type of presentation that I'm expecting to see from you. This is how you need to present your 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 findings. What do you expect them to do? Do you expect them to be at A or you expect them to be at B? Um, because gentlemen, you need to free the room and change every time. It's it's going to be very hard on them to grow that way. Um, so so how would you teach them that? How how do you think? Uh, what do you learn over time? Uh, that would work for them, that would work for you, that is the most beneficial for the studio. That's a fun one to take a crack at. So, um, because uh, the, the the way the way I see it is, uh, I have a my I have a team that is very very young that's still still learning, you know, some tenets of stakeholder management and and report writing and things like that, and. Um, what what I've found is kind of being as specific as possible with like any type of report template or anything that you can help them understand how to kind of convey that to the stakeholder should be something that kind of plays to the lowest common denominator when it comes to UX and, and research maturity, right? So it's, it's understanding that someone that higher up may not necessarily need that. And I would trust a, a, a more senior researcher to be able to make that call. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it's good for a, a more junior researcher to 
be by the book in a sense, because it helps them learn how to do analysis and report writing better because they, if they have to take every step, even if they could technically skip a step, it's, it's showing them the right ways to do it. Whereas when we've done it so many times, maybe we can do it in our head or we can do it quick. It's something that can transfer really easy. Right. Uh, so my, my answer to that is creating a template that is quick, uh, quick to be specific for getting insights to the developer. So that's traditionally what happened? Why does that matter to the stakeholder? And then what sh- what point of suggestion would you have for that? And, and moving through that within the study, the findings of the study, um, and then help them understand why those are the core important things to talk to a stakeholder about. Um, and then slowly, gently throughout the years, help them learn the more nuanced approaches to to talking with stakeholders. But I feel a strong hand helps in the in the early phases. Francesca, did you want to comment on that as well? Yeah, I think like uh, to add what, uh, to what Josh just said, um, having templates and guidelines for the team to like respect the, whole, the, the same process for everyone is really important. At the same time, I really like to push on their creativity Every person is different when they present and every person feel different, feel more comfortable in a way rather than the other. And I think that's knowing your team, knowing their skills, knowing the stakeholders, knowing what they expect and being able to put those two things together is also like um, a lead responsibility, right? Yeah, and maybe to add to that, like maybe... Uh, maybe it's not fair to always uh, think that we have we have a solution for everything, like a recommendation for everything. Uh, maybe like, so they shouldn't be scared, like more juniors, like even our seniors don't have a solution for everything. But it, that's something that we then have to take to the team. Like, yeah, this is what we're seeing. We need to do something about it. Let's think together how to solve it. So so they shouldn't be too scared about that as well, like that they have to have a actionable, like uh, kind of, yeah actionable outcome or, or task that you can put to Jira, like, hey, change this button, but, like, it's it's a discussion as well, and then we can put it to Jira, like, hey, this is what we decided, and, and yeah. Does, it never, does that answer, like, a, a fair bit? Yeah, I think it's 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 an ongoing process, right? We're always learning and improving that. Um, what I found over time is... Um, the, the main principle that we try to work along, along is, is the IKEA effect. So we try to bring it very specific, but not the whole way through. So giving them enough leeway to think for themselves, to understand for themselves, make some work with it. Um, and it's actually true both to our senior juniors and to our stakeholders. In, in both cases, it's actually, I want them to not blindly follow a template where they need to they know they need to kind of fill up the specific formats and then they don't think about anything outside of that format because they're kind of lost in 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 in, in that uh, world uh, but also they have they're not completely out in space and they don't know which way is up and which way is down right because it's a very scary experience uh, same um, uh, uh, with the studios try to give them 80% of the way there, but give them enough uh, room to, to make the decisions on, the, on their own. Um, it's easier to measure success when you lay out specific recommendations, right? Um, as I said five things, they made three things, and, and uh, over time I can measure how many implementations I've done. I don't know if that's necessarily metrics. To be honest, uh, but but some managers like seeing it, and sometimes we just have to to remember who, who signs the checks. Uh, no, it's a, a really good question. Um, yeah, anybody else? Any more points before I move on on to the next one, the last one? No, yeah, thank you all for for the input. That's a really good question. Now, um, yeah, last question, and uh, come from Sana, please. Yes, so it's good good question uh, to be uh, as the last one because mine is a bit looking into the future of user research, uh, but it's also a topical one. So it's related to AI, and obviously we see AI being used in so many places um, and talked about everywhere, with ChatGPT and gener- generative art being in the spotlight. 
So my question is, how do you see AI being you, being being part of UXR research uh, work in the future, or are you maybe using it somehow already? Who wants to go first with that one? Arsana, do you want to give your answer? Yeah, well, I can I can start as well. So yeah, um, obviously, like when when I started thinking about this myself, uh, I I started thinking, what are the tasks that I think AI would be the most helpful uh, with. So those would be like the most time-consuming tasks and with maybe the most boring tasks as well. So maybe with surveys, it's always um, this uh, open end that it take a lot of time to analyze. So that would be super helpful if AI could help. And I know that there are some some tools out there already that could help there. Um, I haven't maybe found uh, a reliable one just yet, uh, but let's see. It's it's be, being developed, obviously, and it's uh, I'm really hoping hoping for to have a perfect solution soon. Um, then one other really time consuming one is uh, playtests. So analyzing those, it takes a lot of time to analyze videos and stuff. So if AI could help out there, actually watching the 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 screen and everything that what the player is doing and helping analyzing that, that would be great. Um, there are playtesting platforms that provide it, but it's based on audio only and not really what's what the players are doing. So again, hoping for development in that area as well. But those were kind of the two things that I'm hoping to see in the future. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there's already developments out there, but I was wondering if others have uh, any other areas that they would want to see or, or have used it somewhere. Um, yeah, I, I can't, and I, and I will not uh, comment on anything we do or we don't do at Vitika. Um, but I think when we when we ask the AI question, right, we, we need to separate a couple of different domains here. Um, so, so there is the uh, what Sana kind of spoke about, if, if I'm correct, is, is AI that is mostly about um, more complex or, or better uh, um, analysis. Mechanism, so it's NLPs to analyze uh, uh, text. It's it's computer vision to analyze um, uh, videos and play testing, which would be amazing and would save hours and hours and hours of work. Uh, and I think, again, going back to to my comment at the beginning, it would allow us to do everything larger, right? Because if now I, I would never in 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 a hundred years do a thousand players. Playtesting because they just don't have enough manpower to analyze it in a decade. Uh, if I can streamline it and do it in a single night, um, then then that configuration uh, goes out the window and I can get better results. Um, and I definitely think that's something that is worthwhile looking into and, and can do great work for us. Um, another place where I can see AI. Um, implemented in that more generative way. So we, we can do A-B testing. So, so today we get one product because no one has the capacity to develop two. But if I can, if I can get one product and then generate a, a slightly different version of that same product, right, with slightly different colors or, or, or a plot or whatever, and, and, and do an A-B testing of which one of them works better, um, I, I can then maybe help the studios make, make more informed decisions. So that's more in the generative side uh, um, of things. The place that I don't know that we will see much AI improvements in the next couple of years as far as virtual is prediction. I, I don't, I, there are tools that does prediction on eye tracking and stuff like that. I just, don't, I don't think, I think that's mostly averaging and stuff like that. You would find the most obvious things in the image and stuff like that. So I don't see that doing a lot of work to help us. Uh, but other than that, I think there is great benefit um, and we can improve our field a lot. And by the way, we, any junior who's hearing it and kind of goes crazy and saying, oh no, I would not be needed anymore and you know, be fired and nobody's going to hire me. That's not true. Uh, it's not going to replace any researchers. It's just going to help them do a better job. Mm. Josh, yeah, well, you wanted to comment. Yeah, uh, in, in fact, just uh, piggybacking off of what you what you just said is uh, the the only way I see it actually in the future harming a junior getting a job is refusing to learn how to use it. 
it, it's, it's, I, I don't see it replacing jobs, but I feel like as we move further and further into it, it's going to become more and more pivotal for a researcher to be able to do their job. And uh, I mean, yeah, we do it fine without it, but it's going to be even better of an experience. And in fact, uh, if my team ever listens to this podcast, their eyes are going to roll really hard because I'm, I'm always talking about AI with them. This is actually, I was really excited to see Sana put this question up because uh, for me, it's not just about the future. We're, I, I'm currently always trying to figure out how to use AI now in a constructive, safe way, because uh, while it's cool to think about how AI will be helpful in analysis in the future, it's not there yet. Right. Like, so we're, uh, I, I, I'm always reminding people not to try to just literally lift something from chat GBT and put it on a paper and say that it's a report, uh, because it's not very good at that yet. So like I echo everything everyone said about the, the future of it. But, uh, for me, what's really exciting about this question is that I get to talk about the second part. Uh, are you using it somehow already? And, uh, for that, I, I would say, while we're not using it for an analytical purposes, uh, we do use it for something that we had kind of given up on, which was transcriptions, uh, like during playtests. So we're not, uh, it's not a perfect science or anything like that, but we actually use a program that transcribes from the video um, and then allows you to click on the transcription and see it in the video. So you can actually clarify what was said and stuff, which is super useful. Uh, that along with AI tagging that allows for kind of sentiment analysis, things like that. Once again, you can't take it and directly use it as a report, but can help you contextualize and start to cluster things that would normally take a lot of time. Um, so that combined with using ChatGPT is almost, almost kind of like a junior researcher in the sense of sanity checks, of, of writing the really boring survey questions, things that uh, things that can be technically done, but with supervision can be used like, you know, once again, don't take something from chat GPT and just use it. Um, but it, it, it can shorten down a lot of the, the, the monotonous repetitive tasks in certain in study design right now. Uh, so I really think that it's something that can be used now with caution and with, you know, the proper care. But as we move into the future, I think it will be super important for researchers to learn what human element is super important for us and what can be given to the given to the AI to do, right? There's a human element in user research that I frankly don't I don't think is ever going to go away until AI is completely sentient. And I think we have a lot more problems to worry about if that ever happens, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that's my, my answer is I'm using it now. I use it super fun way. And in terms of visual analysis, I'm trying a program out right now that is the start of that kind of stuff is it, you can actually type and search for text uh, and the AI can look at the the gameplay video and go to that part of the gameplay. So if you're looking at a menu system, if you're looking at a notification, something that was said by a character, it knows how to find it. So it's not that it's not what we were talking about, but it's baby steps into it. So I think it's a really cool stuff that's uh, that's coming in the pipeline. That's fantastic, Josh. Yeah, some really good points and very interesting as well. Francesca, did you, did you want to come in on something that never said or was it off Josh's point? Sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm super enthusiastic about AI. It's like uh, being a kid in a candy shop. It's, it's amazing. I don't know how to express more love about that. But um, I to add to what everyone said, uh, recently, I heard someone say AI is not going to replace you, but the person that knows how to use it will, yes. which is absolutely true. And another thing is, um, for sure, it gives a huge help with data analysis, user segmentation, a sentiment analysis, real-time ad adoption. But yeah, there is that delimitation of the human element that is missing. Um and is what then you can give to that. So one thing that I always like to mention is that AI is the perfect co-pilot, but it's never going to be an autopilot. So always being really careful how to use it. Um, but if you know how to use it, it's gonna, it's, I, I'm sure it's going to be really, really good. Um, one way that I could see it in the future, and I hope if anyone is going to listen to this podcast, is going to implement it to the so to the software. That <laughs> it would be really cool to have it in uh, a moderated uh, playtest, right? When 
um, users, when players read the task, and there is no chance, opportunity to have a follow-up, but having like AI that could implement that, I think that would be even a step up. Um, I, I want to I want to kind of chime in here, and if podcast is already a, a, a scroll to juniors and kind of telling them what they should and shouldn't do, um, I, I I think that uh, kind of piggybacking what Josh and and, and Francesca said, it's not only about uh, knowing how to use AI um, and so you not be replaced. It's also about knowing your craft, uh, right? So so Francesca mentioned uh, sentiment analysis, uh, and and we talked about um, just other kind of advanced analysis. Um, if you if it's a black box and you don't know what it does and you don't know statistics, you don't know uh, what a nova is or you don't know what an f test is or you don't know what are the basic emotions, then AI is not going to help you. Um, if you trust too much on it, you, you're not going to be a good researcher. You're not going to do a good job. Uh, it's it's at the end of the day, very fancy algorithm, but algorithm. Uh, and 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 the art behind it, and Josh kind of spoke about it. But the art of being a researcher, the art of understanding uh, the meaning of of those data points, is not going to go away. Uh, and and yes, it just it's another course you need to take. It's not replacing the other courses that you already should have uh, taken by now. So obviously your question, so I, I want to come back like that. I've been doing just to see what your thoughts are after hearing from everybody there. Uh, maybe you're less nervous or if you even were nervous about AI, but everyone seems to be in a, a fairly, you know, agreement that um, it's not going to take over, but it, it, it's a tool to be utilised and to help and support. So is that similar sort of thoughts to yourself? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and I do love the excitement with <laughs> everyone's feeling and I it's the same here here so really <laughs> excited to see what what the future will bring us and obviously like yeah we already have AI that we can utilize but I think it's only the beginning and and let's see what what kind of tools and stuff we get in the future it's quite interesting to actually be in a conversation where people are excited about AI <laughs> and it's not just the doom and gloom about it, to be honest. So <laughs> it makes it a nice little change. But I've thought to a lot of people recently in uh, around not just AI in user research, but AI in like art, for example, as well. And I, I think it's very similar there where people have said like it's not at the point where it can create stuff itself, but it's taking inspiration for the people who who know how to use it and, and, and put stuff into it as well. So um, obviously everybody seems in agreement and it's nice that it's quite positive. So uh, let, let's sort of wrap it up on that because that was the, the last question. So I'll end on a positive note, which is great. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. I hope for the people that have been listening, uh, enjoyed all the points there and there's a lot of things take takeaways to, to definitely implement and uh, a lot of interesting information from each each person so thank you josh francesca sana and Abbott for taking part uh, like i said it's been a long time coming this discussion so i'm really glad we got to do it thank you very much and if anybody else wants to join another episode of the evolution exchange to talk about anything uh in game development then you know where we are but thank you very much and we'll see you next time